It's fiddle time. I'm Mike Key. He's Tyler Crone. We are doing it live. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, so today's episode, we're talking about the topic that we're really passionate about, and it's contract testing. When I first heard contract testing, it sounded like something lawyers did, like writing contracts. Yeah, lawyers, the the other tech technical people, right, that do contracts. Yeah. No, contract testing, and I think like we're we have to be a little more specific, right? We're talking about consumer-driven contract testing when we talk about contract testing, which uh, which is a, a nuance in and of itself because it it indicates uh, ordering, I think, more clearly when you say consumer-driven contract testing, meaning the consumer is the thing that matters. So what is consumer-driven contract testing? I've been doing software for, God, I don't count that high, you know, 12 years uh, professionally. You don't have and that many fingers? No. See, I ran out of fingers and it, it becomes hard. <laughs> um, I have an overflow problem. But it's only in the past few years that I've heard about contract testing. Yeah, I think the concept is is been around for a while, but like the formalization of of what it how to do it and you know tools for it have never really existed um until recently. And I think that they emerged because of, you know, the explosion of microservice architecture and distributed systems and, you know, cloud native, whatever you want to call it. Once you get to a point where your APIs can't talk to one another anymore through with checks from the compiler, then how do you make sure that you're, you're coding to your interface? Yeah, and I think that's the key right there is, I mean, historically, most of my career has been working with monolithic systems, right? Um, making calls to service layers within my own application, right? They're method calls. And if I fat finger something, right, I, I um, give the wrong type of arguments. I give too many arguments, not enough arguments. The compiler, it gives you the middle finger and says, no, you cannot run this. Yeah. So that's that's what consumer driven contract testing is about and you know if you if you think about testing in general with microservices you know you, what matters to you and how you test things begins to change and and contract testing is part of that so i believe that contract testing is is like the first level of testing that should be done like you you haven't even written any code yet to be tested the first thing you want to do is say what what are my inputs and outputs for a given component of your system that has to talk to other components and and that defines your contracts right there so from there you you can use tools like pact there's a couple other ones out there postman claims to be fairly good at this spring cloud contract is another tool which i think uh, uh as you pointed out before we started recording tyler is can be used with pact 
And what it's all about is being able to say, I have a consumer and a provider or client server if you're old school. And I want to I want to be able to verify that the API structure is correct between those two services. And so with consumer-driven contracts, we obviously start with the consumer or the client. And so we should first point out that consumer-driven contract testing is, you know, not for everyone. If you're talking to a lot of external APIs that you don't control both sides of, it's probably not for you. There's other ways to go about testing those things. So this is something that should re- is really only for people that control both sides of a client-server relationship. Why would you start with the consumer? Like I've, I've been doing this a little bit of time and I've seen it a lot of times, right? We have back-end engineers, we have front-end engineers, and the back-end guys and gals typically are creating these APIs, right? They're making an API to expose a resource. And I've seen it where they'll create the API and then they'll tell the front-end team, here you go, here's your API. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of problems with that, just generally speaking. I mean... Even if you're doing a monolithic system, I view that as a problem because first and foremost, you're probably building things that you don't need to build, meaning you know the front the front end or the client of a given service or API is using your information, right? So but they define they know what they need. They know what they need to do with the data that that they're getting from this API. So if it's a front end, they're probably getting the data for a page to view to somebody and to format, right? And so if they're doing that, how does the AP, how do backend engineers know exactly what they need to put on the screen? They're going and building APIs before the front end is even designed a lot of times even, right? And so they say, "Yeah, okay, we need we need a page that shows all of our users." So they build an API and say, okay, here you go. And you know, a front-end engineer probably looks at that and says, well, this is great, but I only need like a third of that data. And then nobody will say anything. They just drop the other pieces of data on the floor, right? So so the first problem I see with with starting from the provider is you don't actually, you're not actually defining exactly what you need. Yeah. And, and so that causes like a lot of back and forth then, right? Because what if they don't provide enough? Then the front end has to go back to the back end engineer and say, come on, I need X, Y, and Z. So instead of all that thrashing, right, up front, the very first thing we do is to find this explicit contract of here from a mock-up, here's the data that I need. So let's go work together design this API, and the very first thing we'll do is make sure that our services can talk to each other. Absolutely. And it fits nicely in with domain-driven design if you're a fan like I am of domain-driven design, uh, because one of the big things that domain-driven design promotes is being being very explicit about like what a method or or what a piece of data is for. So when you're when you're providing functionality to your data set, instead of saying get users, 
you know, get users for user page. I mean, that's a horrible example of a method name, but you get the point of, of what it means, right? So it, it helps you become very explicit about this is for this. Now, if you have multiple clients, it gets a, bit, a little bit more complex, but you but you may not have those two clients talking to the same API, if that makes sense. So, you know, they, they may need different things. So, I mean, what's the big deal here? Like, I feel like if I have one consumer, if I'm making an API and I just have one consumer, I just go talk to that team, right? I can just verbally agree and say, all right, here's what I'm going to send you. I might even, you know, be nice enough to send a JSON structure within, you know, send it to you in Slack. Is that good enough? Uh, I mean, it, it depends. It depends. I don't think it's good enough because all that's going to happen with that is somebody's going to go, okay, it looks like that we're done. Now, if anything ever changes, though, nobody knows, right? It has to be that conversation again. And, you know, for example, in my current role, when I was fairly new, I was I was trying to communicate with APIs and I wanted to change things because I didn't like how they worked, but I was scared to change them because I didn't know what would break if I did. If you just say, well, I'm going to go communicate with the backend developer and say, here's what I need or vice versa, doing it the wrong way. And the backend developer saying, here's what I'm going to give you. Either way, if that changes over time, you have no idea when it changed, why it changed, and if it still works. Right? You don't know if you're breaking anything between those two those two APIs. And so it's it becomes a fear thing for a lot of developers. Oh, don't change how many times have you heard don't change the API? That this the API is live. Like we don't don't ever touch it. So what ends up starting to happen is people just latch garbage on because they're afraid to change things because they don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So it's that fear driven development that just, it slows down change. It slows down progress. It slows down how quickly that you can deliver value to the business. Absolutely. So I think we're, we've got a good understanding of why it, we need it in and kind of in general what it is, but how do you implement this? So like, if I can't just go talk to you and say, here's a JSON file, how, how should this happen? Like you mentioned earlier, the, the kind of the de facto tool out there is called PACT. Um, so PACT is a contract testing tool. We use it as a consumer driven contract testing tool. Pact will force you to do consumer first for sure. Yeah. yeah. Spring cloud contract, I don't think forces. Yeah. That, so but. Pact is a tool that has how many, I mean, have you ever counted how many languages they actually have libraries for? More than I know. That's for sure. Yeah. They, I don't think they have things like Rust, but, um, you know, if they have pretty much any lang any modern popular language library for it. And so there's three components in PACT that matter, right? There's there's the consumer and the provider, the API, the sides of the API you're going to 
have communicating. And then they have a packed broker, what they call the packed broker, which is really the place, the central place that all of your contracts exist and are tracked and traced. So what are the steps? How do you, how do you use this tool? Yeah, so the first thing that you would do is you would have your consumer publish a contract. Yeah, you're going to get the library for your language and say, configure this, write a test, and publish the, the contract, right? Yep, that's correct. And, and at that point, the contract's going to be unverified. And why is that? It's because nothing verifies that it, it meets that contract. All you've done is state an expectation. You're saying, if I do a git at this URL, what I expect back is data and it should be shaped this way. Absolutely. And you you can also do error conditions and states, right? And say like, well, we're going to throw a 404 if, the, if this happens and we're going to throw a, you know, a whatever, a 500, which would be bad. We don't want to do that. But we're going to throw a 500 if that happens, you know, you can you can test all your cases. A, a key thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that PACT is not, or contract testing is not for testing functionality of your service. It is purely making sure that your services are talking the same language. Absolutely. And, and there, I, I've noticed with developers new to consumer-driven contract testing and PACT that they try to add that functional component sometimes. And trust me, if you're having trouble getting things to work in your contracts and stay in sync, you're probably testing functionality. Mm -hmm. So first step, right? You, you create your contract, you publish it to your packed broker. Then what's the next step? So then you do the same thing on the other side. You, on the provider side, you say, this is what I'm going to produce. And you, and you write the test and you know, pull in the library for PACT and you tell PACT, okay, publish my results. So on the provider side, the library will go actually go get the contract. And then your test will run like a, a client HTTP or message-based call. PACT does both but it'll actually make the call into your test, right? It has that functionality. So it sets up kind of a, a web client and starts spitting that data at your service and checks the structure. And once that's published, the contract is verified. And my favorite part about PACT though, is all of this sounds very manual. It happened, you know, you're, I'm sitting in my, in my IDE, or my text editor and I'm doing this and then I'm going to run some commands that say publish this stuff. But PACT is really useful in C in your CI, right? You really want to run it in CI and they have a bunch of tools that help you with, with CI, the best one of which, and the main one of which is can I deploy the actual command line name of the, of the executable is can I deploy? And what that's going to do is go check that your contract is verified and then say, yeah, you can deploy this. Now, the key there is impact. There's this concept of tagging. So when you publish your contract and you uh, verify your contract, you want to add 
the appropriate tags. And this again happens in CI, right? So you would say it's common to do it per environment. So if you have like a dev and a staging and a production, you tag it in each CI pipeline when it runs to say, yeah, publish this, it's been verified in dev. That way when can I deploy, deploy runs, you can say, can I deploy to dev? And it'll tell you yes or no, and your build will fail. So that's what's great about Pact is now all of a sudden, you know, just in automation that you can deploy a change to a contract to a specific environment that you have. And now all of a sudden, that fear-driven development that you got with microservices is gone. Turns into fiddle. Yeah, you're going to just do it live. You, you have confidence that what you're deploying is not going to break. Let's say I have a service and it has 50 consumers. For a small company, I mean, that's probably unreasonable. That's one, but of, the best parts, that's one of the best parts of Pact is is gaining that confidence from the from the very start. Now, there's not much more we can probably talk about verbally about Pact, but we feel strongly about strongly enough about this that we wrote a book on it. Yes, we've implemented Pact at a, a few different places. We've seen some of the pitfalls. We've seen some of the struggles that developers have, uh, mostly around the mindset. It's a mindset shift. You have to think differently. You do. So we, we wrote a book. It is how to do contract testing in real life. And what do we mean by in real life? One of our motivators here... Um, when trying to get packed or contract testing adopted was there was no good source that told you end to end, like how to do this. There's, there's a lot of good sources that give you bits and pieces and they'll explain kind of the philosophy behind contract testing, but nothing will tell you like how to actually do this from end to end in a real world, like not a hello world, but in a real world example. Yeah, like there's there's nothing that really shows you like Pact the Pact Foundation who creates Pact the tool has great documentation but nothing that really shows you like here's a working example and everything that goes into that working example from your CI setup to how you include the library in your source code and how you write a test that that actually works. So we showed this with multiple services, message-based APIs, HTTP-based APIs, with uh, front-end service, with back-end service. We show how to do this. Uh, we use GitHub Actions as our CI-CD pipeline mechanism. And from start to finish, we show you how to do this. We show you some of the pitfalls that you might run into, the things that we've struggled with and have, have learned yeah, and the book is the book is kind of uh, structured in such a way that that we kind of walk through. Like, I'm going to set up a whole new project, right? So we're actually using you know real user stories and you know developing our user stories and then doing some upfront front design work and showing you how Pact kind of fits into all of that, like in your normal development flow. So it's a great book. We, you know, we think so anyway. 
So you can get it on Gumroad. Do you have do you have a a direct link you can give people? Yeah, probably the easiest is go to our website fiddle.dev. That's f i d i l dot dev, and you can find a, a link to our book there. Fantastic. Yep, for sale on Gumroad. Check it out. Give us feedback if there's things that you think could be better. Let us know if you think it's great let us know all right well that will do it for episode one thanks for joining us and uh stay fiddle